Pod. 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 Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod, your favorite podcast about University of Washington football. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Uh, the Washington Huskies are three and zero, and almost pitched a shutout at Michigan State. Not sure I, I saw that coming. A dominant, dominant performance. About as dominant as it could have been. Yeah, there's not much you could have asked for that didn't happen. And three games into this season, there's this is pretty close to a best case scenario. I don't know. I don't know how how much that will end up meaning because some of that's going to depend on how good these teams are that they've faced. But look, Washington, when they made this schedule, like this is exactly the kind of schedule that I would advocate for and have always loved, which is a sort of upper tier team from a comparable conference. Like I would say Michigan state is a, is a better than average big 10 team in general, Uh solid, non-power five like a a good a good team from outside the power five and then your cupcake and washington handled them all pretty much with equal ease and i i think i think they laid out a fairly difficult schedule for themselves certainly not an easy schedule and they've thrived they beat uh michigan state by one more point than they beat tulsa so there you go it's such a i mean that's the really weird thing about early season games is that the margin doesn't necessarily tell you that much. Like watching the game tells you way more than the margin does, right? They could have beat Tulsa by 60. Like that that could have happened. And I don't know if they could have beat Michigan State by 60. <laughs> like it's, it's, Dylan Morris Dylan Morris's first series was in the third quarter. So It's it's possible they could have if they wanted, right? But the the game against Michigan State is much more impressive than the the win against Tulsa, just because you you know the caliber of team that they were facing. Like regardless of how they felt, like there's there there are there are Big Ten caliber athletes on that team. There's going to come a point where, like if they if they are this you know all time UW team that that just blows everybody out, where do you do you know how good the opponent is? Because, like, right now it's easy, like, well, how good's Boise State? How good's Tulsa? How's Michigan State? And if they win by a large margin this week, it'll be, well, I think we kind of know Cal's not that great. If they if they go and blow out Arizona, it'll be, well, I mean, Arizona's I, I think, poses some distinct challenges to, to Washington, particularly in the secondary. Like, that'll be an interesting matchup. But, you know, how good is Arizona? Like, it, is it going to be until the Oregon game? That if they beat Oregon by multiple scores, is it finally just totally apparent and true that, okay, this is a really good team and the fact that they, they just beat Oregon badly does not reflect on the quality of Oregon's team. It, it just tells us that Washington's really good. Like, There's going to be a point where, because if you just blow everybody out, does that mean nobody was any good who you played? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how good UCF is, but look at Boise State. Like, Boise State's played three games now, and Washington's the only team that scored more than 20 points against them. Right? Yeah, that so, could be a pretty good defense. Right. Like it, And that, that sort of question about, 
the transitive property of trying to deduce it by how other teams have played. Boise State could have a pretty good defense. I do think Cal has a good defense. Like I, I, I think Cal's defense is is pretty good. And if Washington goes and hangs fifty points on them, there's that to me will say an awful lot about what we can expect from them in the Pac-12. There's been nothing that has happened so far to to indicate that Washington is anything less than what has been advertised. And I think in general, that's how I approach early season results is what have you seen so far that makes you doubt what you thought you knew? I haven't seen anything that makes me think that this offense isn't as blistering as it looks. And I haven't really seen anything that makes me think this defense isn't significantly better than it was last year. Yeah, I think that was um, maybe it gets overshadowed, obviously, by by Michael Penix's crazy numbers and the the receivers doing what they did. But I mean, Washington's defense really set the tone in that game, right? I mean, they came out and should have had a strip sack fumble on on the first possession. That was very strange. Um, not sure how that doesn't get reviewed or how it gets reviewed, and it's concluded that it's it's not a fumble somehow. <laughs> there was so weird. It was like the ball was like immobile pinned on the guy's chest for a second and I don't know if that was confusing I don't know but they they get off the field on their first possession score right away you know I thought the pass rush was a lot better um obviously Zion Tupuola Fatui had two sacks and you know Braylon Trice like he he doesn't have a sack yet you don't look at his stats and think you know you know maybe you think he's kind of off to a slow start but man he he's in the backfield all the time and that makes a huge difference. And I know coaches are are really pleased with the way he's playing, and in, in spite of the the lack of production, and they, they couldn't run the ball at all. I mean, it was just a game that Washington totally controlled up front on on both sides of the ball, and that wasn't a combination you really saw last year. No, and pass rush can be one of the most sort of deceiving things to measure statistically defensive line in general but pass rush watch watch how teams block up the opposing pass rush and if you watch what Braylon Trice deals with play to play and still does find his way into the backfield like you see the impact that he's having and it's a it's a cumulative effect right like Braylon Trice contributes to the opportunities that the other edge gets and having someone that's disruptive in the middle I thought Tuli Latuli Hasanoa played exceptionally well in this game, like both in, in clogging up the middle, like that sort of disruption causing mayhem. <laughs> there should be a stat for causing mayhem. <laughs> well, there's what, <laughs> havoc rate? <laughs> yeah, like that. Of just like where all of a sudden you're like, oh, they had to do some things to to account for the natural disaster this guy was bringing with him. Like You watch... That was a that was a Michigan State's offense was heavily disrupted by Washington's defense. Michigan State could not get anything going. And look, they don't have the weapons that I think they were expected to have when this team was rated as highly as it was a year ago. And people thought that that was a program on the rise. But Washington did exactly what everything they could to completely muck up what what Michigan State was trying to get accomplished. I know you said, and I think pretty much everybody would agree, you haven't seen anything yet to suggest that Washington isn't or or won't be this elite offensive team. Certainly their defense looks better. Uh, did you was, – was there anything you learned distinctly from non-conference play? 
anything from the first three games that told you something you you didn't know about this team? Jack Westover <laughs> is going to finish as one of my all-time favorite Huskies, like Joe Jarzinka level. <laughs> I. And every time when they talk about it, about his how, how limited he was, his football experience was before he got to college, all that guy does is score touchdowns. Yeah, like it's, he leads the Pac-12. It's so funny where you talk about all of these guys who have NFL futures and are, and are so powerful. And anytime people – look, tight end, Washington is one of the – most noted schools in the tight ends that it is put in the NFL. Like it's not quite Iowa, but it's up there. And Jack Westover never gets mentioned in that group because he doesn't fit sort of the prototype. And you're like, well, I don't know if he's going to play. You know, all the guy does is score touchdowns. Yeah, he's, a, he's he's so fun to watch. He's wide open a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't know what it is in the – the scheme that Ryan Ryan Grubb just seems to always see something down there where you shift everybody around and there's some motion and some eye candy and when it's all over they forgot about Jack Westover. Did you play? Have you played football video games like whether it's NCAA football and Sega Genesis? You might oh, be yes. too young for that. The, the tight end is often open. <laughs> when you decide to force feed. Like a guy where you're like, this guy is a marginal player on my team, usually done in sort of the franchise mode. And I'm, I can't remember if that was it was program mode that was an NCAA football for the GameCube. But where I would decide, like, I'm going to see how many touchdowns I can get this somewhat marginal player to score. That's kind of how it feels sometimes with Jack Westover. Like it is an elaborate ruse where like two guys bet a dollar. Like, I bet you can't have Jack Westover score 20 touchdowns in a college football season. <laughs> and Ryan Grubb's like, okay, let's see. And I don't want to sort of undersell Jack Westover because, like, really, he's a really fun player to watch. It makes no sense to me how on an offense full of this many clear NFL prospects, and maybe that's the answer, is that there are so many clear NFL prospects that he gets – sort of lost in the mix and people don't recognize how or <laughs> forget to cover him it's wild well i think the other the other explanation maybe jack westover should be talked about more as an nfl prospect and i've that been wondering like the 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 way offenses have evolved in the nfl you can have that kind of fullback h-back tight end type who you throw to out of the backfield who blocks and man he he seems to fit that to a t I mean, he do, he does everything well. He's he's a really good run blocker. They can leave him in to help with pass protection. You know, it's it's been proven time and again. If you don't account for him, he's he can catch the ball really well. He's athletic, can run after the catch. Um, just see, you know, he, you're right. He doesn't have the the prototypical NFL tight end size, um, mm -hmm. but uh, he is really turned into. I mean, a really really valuable college football player. That's. That's actually an incredible point, Christian, because if you look in the NFL right now, two of the guys who are considered the very best play callers in the league both use a fullback, Kyle Shanahan and then Mike McDaniel, who had coached with Shanahan before, like both those. And in San Francisco, Kyle Juszczyk, who is their tight end or is their fullback, is someone who's become fairly highly paid and is considered a really important part of their offense. I could absolutely see Jack Westover moving into that kind of role. Also... Shout out Nick Harris. I don't know if anybody was watching Monday Night Football, but the Cleveland Browns in an otherwise awful performance 
inserted Nick Harris as a fullback. <laughs> he was the lead oh, blocker. He was the lead blocker on two touchdowns. And it's usually when they put a big fat guy in the in the backfield, he's he's more of a snowplow than an actual fullback. He's just like you run as fast as you can straight ahead and create a hole. Like Nick Harris was looking people up, man. <laughs> like he was like I, I, he was reading the play and like bam, both times he had yeah. critical blocks. He's twitchy, man. He's an athlete. Uh, my my wife has officially gotten sick of how much I talk to her about Nick Harris as we watch football <laughs> games. Like she's completely she, to the point where this time he's like, "Are you going to tell me he's from Washington again?" Like he is. Uh, that does uh, dovetail into the some of the the news this week. Obviously, they, the Huskies lost their their new center, Mateo Mele, yeah, uh, for the season. Unfortunately, to a, I believe it was an arm injury. Looked like he came out with an arm injury against Tulsa, and also Devon Banks uh, coming off of a the best game of his career against Boise State. Um, coming off the bench, he also was hurt in that Tulsa game. Neither guy made the trip to Michigan State, and they'll miss both those guys for the season. I I said this yesterday somewhere else. I I feel like those are the kind of injuries, it, it melee especially, that if they'd happened in camp would have caused like a pretty widespread panic among the fan base that, oh my God, they just lost their, their starting center. I think, I you know, we, talk, we talked about how on my most important players list, you almost couldn't put him too high because mm-hmm. he's he's a, a new starter and that offensive line and are they going to, you know, maintain last year's standard and how important that position is. But I, I think Parker Brailsford has played so well in their first three games, and especially getting the start in Melee's place against Michigan State and and holding up quite well, Um, I believe. So you'll you'll enjoy this. He was the coaching staff's, their their offensive, they call power player of the game, basically their offensive lineman of the game. I think he was their lowest rated guy by PFF coming out of that game. So (laughs) it goes to show not to to take those grades uh, as gospel. Well, I'm just going to point out again, it is odd how much credence is given to a site called Pro Football Focus. <laughs> like, it's odd. It's odd They're to unfocused. me. Just It stands out. Uh, I do think that the um, whether you want to call it the emergence, the development, Parker Brailsford was not someone that I think most people had circled as you expect him to be a starter this year, let alone be one of their better starters. And that's kind of what it looks like. Like that's and you would actually in the in the story talking about the fact that Parker Brailsford was somewhat of a somewhat of a I don't want to say surprise because that's not really it, but that someone who had distinguished himself in in fall camp to the point he's at the top of the depth chart. People didn't necessarily expect this in a really well written story on on Montlake.com, the kind of which you can find on a daily basis. There, you pointed out the comparison in Nick Harris that kind of the speed of their their development, their understanding, the knack, and that they're those are the kind of offensive linemen that coaches at every level love. Having having a guy with a feel and an understanding for the game that sort of belies how young they actually are. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Are you starting to get a little concerned about the O-line depth? Sure. It's, melee's out now. I think Julius Bulow's banged up. It sounds like it's maybe more likely he'll play this week than not. Like, obviously, that's not a long-term thing. But, man, you start to, you know, you take yeah, him out, and now it's Garen Hatchett, and you're still probably feeling pretty okay. But it's it's getting a little thin, a little early here. When the footage and seeing Bulow walk to the locker room, 
and the, the first thought is always for the player. Like injuries are such a devastating part of football, and you feel really unfortunate. Like those guys put in so much to be ready to play and to get those opportunities, and careers don't like all of those different things. Then the second thing is you're like, okay, is, is that is that's a second starter on your offensive line. And you're talking about being down 40% of your offensive line and you're not even a quarter of the way through the season. Yes, absolutely. It's 100% a concern because I think their line has been really, really good and for two years now. So, yeah, that's something to, to, to keep an eye out. I was, I always view injuries through the lens of is it a season-ending thing or is it something that they expect someone to come back from? And sometimes that can be a little bit misleading because missing a guy for a month is a significant chunk of time and can change the trajectory of a season. But I, I viewed kind of what I've read about the Bulow injury is like that's relatively good news, certainly not the worst-case scenario that could have occurred given given what they were looking at. I think they're to the point – Mm, maybe maybe they're one away on the interior line, but at, at both those positions where they lost guys at, at, at uh, the interior offensive line and at cornerback, they're to the point where it's like okay, they're fine as long as they don't lose one more guy, because at corner you've still got both your starters, mm-hmm. uh, Jabbar Muhammad, who by the way I think has been outstanding through three games. It's been great, and Elijah Jackson. And they were mixing Devon Banks in there, and they're mixing Thaddeus Dixon in some. Obviously, Thaddeus Dixon becomes the number three corner and is going to play a lot more now, I would I would assume. But, man, you lose one of those guys, and now you're talking about not a lot of depth, not a lot of experience behind those those two starters. Um, and on the O-line... You know, they they still got Garen Hatchett, who was right there in the competition, and, you know, he can play really any spot you need him to. Landon Hatchett, they've been very high on. He made his college debut on Saturday, can play center or guard, but, you know, you are talking about a true freshman there. So um, it's if if they'd lost one of these games or if the offense wasn't as explosive and if, if the vibe wasn't as positive as it was around the program, I think that there there'd be maybe a little more concern that these injuries could cost them a game down the road for now i think it's like okay if there's not one more they should be able to hang in there with the personnel they've got we have not heard any discussion of moving ulumo ale back to offensive line correct that's that's not happening no so that that is when we know that the the Glass has been broken, an emergency has been sounded, and it's it's all hands on deck. Yeah, that's as, uh, as long as there's no discussion of that. They're gonna need like an industrial sized axe to to break open that <laughs> that that glass case. I think uh, he's become pretty important to that defensive interior. Dude, he's the funnest player to watch. He is the funnest player to watch just because. Maybe it's because I keep thinking of the <laughs> of the quote. Was it Ryan Grubb that said bear hunting with a switch? Uh, William Inge said that, yeah. William Inge, bear hunting with a switch. Watching him play, it it there is an element of like watching a giant just try to clobber his way through an opposing He's a large line. human. <laughs> it's great. It's so much fun. Uh, the linebackers, you saw a little bit of rotation there. You saw uh, go forth play some Carson Bruner's been playing a lot seeing them them rotate guys through I do think that you're seeing them develop some some depth as well and that defense looks faster significantly faster in the middle than it was a year ago 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think they want a whole team of guys who feel like if they perform to a certain standard, they'll get on the field, even if there might be two or three players at their own pos- position who who play a little bit better. You know, it's it's um, they're not necessarily going to play their number four linebacker as much as they play Carson Bruner. But because Carson Bruner is so good and has proven that he he deserves those reps, they're comfortable taking Edifu Onulafoscio or Alfonso Tupatala off the field, even though they do feel like those are their two best guys. Um, just because you know they they want to they do want to develop that depth and they want to reward guys who have have played in a way that suggests they should be on the field, even though the starters might be a little bit better. I think you see that at a few different positions, but. Yeah, this is um what three for three this season where Carson Bruner's made a big hit somewhere. I think it was on a kick return again this time. Watching dudes, watching dudes that make plays is something that I've. It, it gets it can get lost when football gets sort of drilled down to size and speed specs of who can and can't play certain positions. Like there is room for a dude that just always finds himself in the right spot. I don't think those things are accidents. I don't. I, I think that instincts and feel, and sometimes this this idea of things. I don't think it's an accident that he constantly finds himself in position to make those sort of big plays. Yeah, he um. Their their kick coverage has been something else this year. Yeah, it has. Too. It just seems like there's. It's always somebody. Um, those first couple guys down the field seem to to pursue their assignment with reckless abandon in in some fashion to the point where I'm a little surprised teams are still trying to return it um and I I have a feeling I mean based some on just knowledge like I know Grady Gross has a good leg and could probably put it in the end zone consistently if he wanted to I I wonder if they don't want him to because if they hang it up there and and give the receiving team the the illusion of hey I'm I can catch this at the seven yard line that's great I'm going to try to run this back I I think they kind of want that so I I don't know that for sure I know Chris Peterson um, there was some strategy behind the the distance of their kickoff sometimes they wanted a return they were trying to to bait them into running it back and and could pin them inside the inside the twenty five or I guess back then inside the twenty have you have they used the term mortar kick that was what they called it in the NFL. They haven't, no. Oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> that's that. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's the actual term for it. I know that, that there are NFL coaches who have referred to it that way. And what you said is exactly what they try to do. Is basically, you can't put it ultimately in the corner because you don't want it to go out of bounds, but you try and have it land toward the sideline inside the 10. And that it creates this sense that there's an opportunity for return. Teams don't always respond well to that because it forces them to to move their blocking scheme. And that if you can place toward the sideline inside the 10 and they decide to return it, that they're playing into your hands. Um, your, your, coverage, your coverage team should have them hemmed in and have an opportunity to get a pretty big whack at somebody. I believe our... Uh... Our trusty sponsor has a, a question that takes us into into this week's game. It, if you're looking for an opportunity to expand your business, sale, improve your sales, don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm talking about, but this guy does. That's Ian McFarland, IPMcFarland.com. Stone cold killer when it comes to providing advice, making connections, or even providing you with some solutions at no risk and no cost to you. He also... 
excels in in the finer points of Pac-12 analysis. It's worth a conversation with Ian McFarland. Good morning, guys. Very direct question this week. Can we not, for the love of God, have another dumb cow game? It's the last year we have to play this stupid, 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 stupid game. And I know next year it's going to be replaced with a dumb Purdue game. I don't care. (laughs) I need a one-year reprieve from dumb cow games. Please tell me that will be the case. You know He's what? right, man. He's right. Like the Cal game is always stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna defend last year's UW Cal game. It wasn't quite as stupid. Uh, it was stupid. It was the. It might have been the dumbest game they than, played. It was closer than you probably wanted it to be. Dude, they outgained them for 150 yards in the first half and led six zero. It was awful. It was the dumbest game they played. So listen, this is a. I'm I'm kind of looking at this as a little bit of a measuring stick game because I thought that Cal had by far the best defensive game plan against Michael Penix last year. Um, they that. were very disciplined in the secondary. They kept everything in front of them, and Ryan Grubb acknowledged that some this week. You know, say hey, tip your cap. They had a good plan, and I remember him saying after that game that. You know, even though that wasn't one of Penix's biggest numbers game, of course he's like he still threw for like three seventy four, but he needed fifty one attempts to do it, which for him is on the the less efficient side. Um, they, I remember Greb saying like he was really proud of of the way Penix managed that game because he didn't. You know, it was obvious that they were going to try to take away some of the deep shots that they mm-hmm. lived on. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't try to force it. He didn't turn the ball over. He took what was there. I remember also in that, I mean, I feel like they had tailbacks drop like three passes in that game that would have extended drives or something like that. Like, I remember he made a lot of really like disciplined check downs where he did yes. the right thing and it could have moved the sticks, but he didn't get the the help that, that he's accustomed to getting from some of his, his teammates. So, um, uh, yeah, Richard Newton also had the, uh, like the 30-some yard touchdown catch in that game where he... where he just destroyed everybody en route to the end zone? Yeah. No, I, I take it back. It was it was a weird, dumb Cal game. I, I've, I've story. proven myself incorrect. Um, I, they, I, so oh. I, think it's, I think it's a measuring stick game. I think let, let's see what the defensive plan is. Let's see if, if even this, this Justin Wilcox, Peter Sermon, Cal defensive coaching staff that's given them so much trouble, let's see if even they are are unable to put a lid on Michael Penix Jr. and, and Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan and everybody. It's an interest. I, I agree with you. I think this is going to be the hardest game they've played so far. I think that Cal is a legit defense. Like every, everything that we've seen so far, I don't know if Cal can move the ball on offense or how that's going to work out. Cal's a legit defense. Cal, Cal's a good college football defense. Like they're going to be one of the better defenses in the Pac-12, which might not be saying much, but anyway. You're also going to see how Michael Penix and Ryan Grubb in this offense respond to a defense that had a good plan for them. How do they counterpunch? Because I, I agree with everything you said. I thought that was one of Michael Penix's more disciplined games and showed that he's not going to force things, which is a really important attribute in a quarterback. Now we're going to see, can they, can they do something to that same defensive approach? Because... They've got most of the same parts back and they know kind of what Cal was able to do to them last time. What are they able to do this time? I'm really excited to see how 
what what they look like going against Cal, especially because it's going to be at home. I know it's a night start. I hope there's not a lightning and rain delay. <laughs> Speaking of dumb Cal games, which I will say that was that was in the weeks before I moved to New York. I stayed for the end of that. I stayed there the wow. whole damn time. I watched <laughs> I, I watched the entire stupid Cal game. Uh, I I think it's going to be more. There are going to be more fireworks in this game than that one. I do remember uh, n- knowing how few people, relatively few people, there were in the seats for the end of that game, and remarking on like how how loud it was relative to like you knew there were only about twenty thousand left. It felt like they the the people who stayed were were in that diehard category who were making a lot of noise. So that's yeah, that was a very that was, was a, a very bizarre game. evening and and then early morning. I think I pulled up to my house at five a.m. after yeah. that one. I think the final. I think the final. I think it was like one forty when it ended. Because yeah. I know that when, when I left, there was quite. I had questions about whether light rail was still going to be running, and it was. They kept it running for that. Um, it was a really. You know that's that is one of my favorite memories though was everybody hanging around in the concourses because they had to clear out the stadium. I was there with my friend Drew Barth. Um, it, was, it was a wild night. I I I was a little disappointed so many people left, but I understand it. I think I've said this before, but that that very lightning storm that felt like that felt like the point at which Washington football switched over to it the 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 new dimension. Like it was, they'd come off. They just won the conference championship and yep. gone to the Rose Bowl. They, you know, Jacob Eason looked amazing in their game against Eastern Washington. They got this, you know, the quarterback everybody's been waiting for. They jumped Cal early in that game. They were up ten to nothing, and then the the storm hits and there's this huge delay. They lose the game. The season ends up being a disappointment. Chris Peterson resigns. COVID hits. It felt it felt like the timeline jumped. Like something about that that lightning storm was what put Washington on its its new like bizarre football <laughs> timeline. Well, thank you for ruining what I thought was a fairly decent and weird memory because now I'll always think of that. Like that's when it that's when it changed. You, no, something about there. the lightning there. Yeah, you, exactly. You were there for it. I don't. Know. I, I might have you... been part of the part of the, the what poisoned the well. <laughs> did you did you feel anything in the concourse? Did you see did you see a, a rip in the space time continuum outside the the pretzel stand? No, I just remember when they because what Cal missed a field goal with a little more than a minute to go, right? Or they went for it on fourth and didn't get it, and Washington uh, had a turnover on downs, and then they punted it back to Cal, and then Cal zipped in there to position itself for that last minute field goal. Well, the, uh, Pey- Peyton Henry made like a. 50 yarder or something. Oh, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. He made an incredibly long field goal where I didn't think he was going to make it, but there was still like 40 seconds left or something uh, and enough time. And then Cal hit an, like, not as long a field goal, but a ridiculous field goal to win it. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Weird, weird Cal stuff. Weird, dumb Cal games. The reason we have dumb Cal games, just to answer Ian's question, is because there was a run where Washington won 19 in a row through all sorts of ridiculous acts of God, including the recovery of an onside kick at Cal in 1993. Like, all sorts of ridiculous stuff happened. And eventually, when you benefit from that, the bill comes due and you have to pay the piper. And so you suffer a series of ridiculous, stupid games against that opponent. And that's what we're hopefully on our way out of. Dumb Cal games. Yes, it is It is your penance. It doesn't help... That this is a seven thirty kick 
Like, kind of, you know, you're, you're opening the door for some, some dumb cow stuff. Pack 12 after dark. <laughs> hey, enjoy it. Is it, do you, do you enjoy the, do you enjoy the late night games a little more this year, knowing that, that it's going to be all nostalgia? A little bit. I, I am looking forward to the final tour through the Pac-12. Like, I kind of feel like this is where all the grudges should be solved, and there should be no rules on, like, sportsmanship or decorum. Like, do what you want to do. I, 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 I feel that we should let it all hang out in this final season of Pac-12 football. Like, there's, 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 there's going to be no, like, there, all bets are off. That's how I feel. First week of Pac-12 play. It is. Are you excited for it? Yeah, I mean... There's good games, man. I feel like there's all these unbeaten teams, and we still don't really know like exactly what they're made of. Like, Oregon had uh, you know, a, a test in Lubbock and was able to pull that game out. They should have lost that mother <laughs> game. <laughs> Such <laughs> bullshit that they didn't lose. Not only that, they covered. Oh, what it, just a, just a miracle cover, an incredible. <laughs> Wazoo beat Wisconsin. Yeah, Washington handled Michigan State on the road, but we're still in that early stage where it's like, how good are how good are any of these teams? Like, I I'm, can tell you, I can tell you, Oregon, things. Colorado, especially that's yeah. gonna, that's going to tell us something. Arizona State and Stanford, not good. <laughs> yeah, that it's a it's a uh, it's a ten team survey. Stanford lost to Sac State. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Do you think? Do you think going into that game, Troy Taylor was like, "I've I, I made Sac State too good. I built them up too much." Yeah, I th I think he absolutely knew. He's like, I know how fast that team is, and I know how fast my team is. <laughs> Dang, <laughs> I, I think that's exactly what happened. I had going into the week. I had Stanford 11 and Arizona State 12 in my power rankings. And you would think that a loss to Sac State would drop the number 11 team to number 12, but not when the number 12 team loses 29 to nothing at home to a Mountain West team. At home, Fresno State mauled them. Uh, we should, and Fresno we should State's get... good. Not, not taking anything away from Fresno State. They'd give they'd give a lot of Pac-12 teams trouble, I think. But Sure. Yeah. yeah. All that being said, that's like when Washington lost at home to Nevada Reno before it was just Nevada. Like, fine, it's a really good team. Whatever. Like, you lost. And Washington at home. scored in that game. <laughs> God, that that's ASU. I mean, they got like, look, you're Kenny Dillingham. It's year one. You brought in some new quarterbacks. You got the freshman Jaden Rashada. You got transfer running back and. You're just kind of you're trying to flip that roster like every first year coach does, taking over a team that's struggled, and then you immediately get crushed with injuries at quarterback and on the offensive line. Like that's yep. just what are you going to do? You can't. I mean, that, that that makes it untenable. Those are the, like the two positions where um, a, a struggling program trying to revive itself cannot afford a, a bunch of injuries, and that's where they've been hit. So, what are they going to do? Unfortunately, they just they only have USC this week. All right, Christian was three and three last week, is what I had you in picks. I was four and two. Nothing to write home about. The one difference was you had the Beavers covering uh, at when the Beavers hosting San Diego State. Uh, Oregon State won twenty six to nine, uh, not covering. They they were favored by twenty four and a half in that game, but. Uh, everything else, both of us thought the Buffs would cover against Colorado State. They did not. Uh, both of us picked the 
Spartans to cover against Washington. They obviously did not. Uh, we're both 15 and 10 going into the first week of Pac-12 play. Quite respectable records, I might I add. think, it, yeah, it's decent. Nothing, uh, you get the, and if anybody missed Christian's story last week on Montlake.com about the 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 eight and two week in which somebody he know bet a parlay, which actually ended up coming through for him because of a discrepancy by half a point in the line. I don't want to, re- it's worth reading the story. It's very, very good. I will add for folks who read that, um, the same person, even more tongue-in-cheek this time, threw another $5 on a parlay of my picks for, for last week. So that didn't, that didn't work out quite as well. You'll note that he did not f- roll the entire thing forward. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Someone with true confidence who was really, really degenerate might have rolled the whole thing forward. First game is Colorado at Oregon. Oregon favored by 21 at home, Christian. That's a big, big number. For a team whose defense I don't really trust, mm-hmm. I Colorado going to be without Travis Hunter. That's true. I tend to believe Oregon is about that much better than Colorado generally. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, and their I think their defensive front could be pretty nasty as they kind of gel a little more, and that's been Colorado's issue protecting the passer. Yeah, I I think Oregon I just think Oregon's going to be able to score at will. Um I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I like Oregon to cover that. I'm taking the Buffs as part of my yeah, I don't love a, that pick. That's a big a, number. It's a big number and I'll just say this, like whenever possible I'm going to pick the Ducks to lose. Um just out of pure spite. UCLA at Utah. Utah uh favored by four and a half, which is relatively slight. Do we know about Cam Rising? I think the assumption is they've been targeting this week. Um, I know Kyle Whittingham said he practiced. They're not going to say whether he's going to play or not. Um, but I, I, would, I like he's been back at practice. Yep. So I would I would think that they probably were trying to. Hey, by the way, hats off to them for going three and zero against that non conference yeah. schedule without their starting quarterback because they did Hell not look yeah. good doing it. But that's not the point. They won. They won all three games. Not only that, like that young quarterback who came in to win the Baylor game, he's really young. He looks really good. Like, yeah, I, there's a little bit of me that's like, yeah, not gonna, not gonna regret not having to play him in the conference schedule as things progress going forward. <laughs> like that, if if he gets a stud quarterback, that I mean, they've been really good without having that sort of stud level NFL quarterback, and that young kid looked really good. Four and a half. Are we underselling UCLA? I feel like they're kind of the afterthought. Like, yeah, we'll we'll throw them into the top twenty-five. They're they're three and zero, whatever. But man, if, like if if Dante Moore is is as good as as everybody thought he would, which feel like so early returns are pretty positive. Like that that changes some things for them. Is he good enough to make the head coach care though? Because I'm not sure he is. Well, I'm he, not sure he is. I think he that insists Chip, that there's there's no Chip, starting quarterback yet. They're still rotated. They rotated guys against North Carolina Central. I think Chip Kelly is like sixty percent in on this job, which is pretty good. Which we're better than most guys because I think Chip's a really smart guy. But I, <laughs> dude, he's the weirdest <laughs> college football coach now. I kind of like, like this. Feels like a game where, kind of like last year, where it's like, oh, UCLA might actually be pretty good this year, but. In Salt Lake City, especially if they've got rising back, they've they've 
you know, they should have some good momentum. Like every year they drop a non-conference game, they shouldn't, and they didn't do that this year. So they got to yep. feel like, hey, we're a top 10 team. We're right in it. I like Utah to cover four and a half. I'm going to pick the Utes as well, based simply on the belief that it is hard to be tough when you wear flip-flops every day. It's just my general consensus about UCLA and its football team over the past 20, 25 years. It's hard to be tough when you wear flip-flops every day. Fair enough. The Tupac matchup, Oregon State at Washington State. Beavs favored by three and a half, which means it's essentially a pick right, between those two teams? Man, I think uh, I think I like Wazoo. Um, in Corvallis, I'd probably I'd probably take an Oregon State to cover that. But oh, my bad. It's I was saying Oregon State's favored by three, which means they're seen as six on a neutral field. Yeah, I still I, I I'm not as um, if we'd seen a little more from Oregon State's passing game in the non-conference slate. You know, I know I know Uyunglele threw for two eighty four against San Diego State, but I think he was like 14 of 30. Um, obviously, Damian Martinez is a stud. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think they're, you know, regardless of the change at quarterback, like I think Oregon State's the same team. They're they're going to try to bully you up front and, and run the ball. And I think they're pretty good at that. And I think their defense is, for having lost what they lost, has proven to be pretty nasty. Um, oh, this is the best, obviously the best team by far that they will have faced this year. I, I don't know. I just I I'm I'm buying Washington State's offense and it's kind of resurgence under Ben Arbuckle, their their young offensive coordinator. I think you've seen a better version of Cam Ward these first three weeks. He's looked great. Taking care of the ball. No he had some fumble issues in the in the opener, but uh hasn't thrown a pick yet and I just they I, I, I like the the look of their offense. I think their player structure and their scheme and their play calling has been very effective. And home game, you know, a lot of weird emotions in this game because these are these are these two teams are, are sort of kin now, right? And in be, having been left behind, and they've sort of banded together in a lot of fronts, and, and now they have to to go out and try to beat one another. That's uh, maybe maybe sort of a weird dynamic. Maybe more for, more for the fans. I don't know. The players really get in all that stuff, but um, that'll be a be an interesting stadium environment. I'm, I'm going to take Wazoo to cover, though. They feel like the Rebel Alliance, right? Like the scrappy, held together with duct tape and bailing wire, much like this podcast. They're they're, they're both ranked and making the making the most of it. I'm a Beaver believer. I'm picking the Beavs. Arizona at Stanford on the farm. Cats favored by 12. Uh, yeah, Arizona. Yeah, me too. I, I wonder, um, there's that balance between, like, is a team going to get better as the year progresses under a first-year coaching staff, or are they going to get demoralized by the reality of just how... Because, like, you think about the... I kind of wrote this in my power ranking story. Like, the the, bot, the, the, the unranked four, the bottom four teams in the Pac-12 right now, I mean, a couple of those teams are looking at playing. Like Arizona, after this week, has seven consecutive games against teams that are currently ranked. Yep. And so, if you're Stanford and you saw how it went against Sac State, and you already got your taste of what it what it felt like to play one of those those elite teams, USC. Yeah, I just I wonder I wonder what the bounce back ability is is going to be there. And I just think Arizona's going to score a million points on them. We could take Arizona in a very similar. Stanford's troubles generally don't deal with motivation or focus, right? Like, it's not like, oh, they just really weren't 
like they're they're gonna they're gonna get it together and sort of understand what things are going. No, usually when they're bad, they're bad because they stink. Like it's not because the guys aren't focused or trying. So I until further notice, it'll be a real decision when they play Arizona State, who I think stinks more. Because those those two programs just look awful. Uh speaking of the Sun Devils, USC at Arizona State. Trojans who won't be covered by the uh, a, one one of the writers, or maybe he can cover the game, but he can't cover practices. Oh, yeah, yeah. Small town man, Lincoln Riley. Uh, Trojans favored by thirty four and a half. Thirty four and a half. So, did, did you pick Arizona or Stanford? Uh, Arizona. Okay. Um. Yeah. I I'm gonna take USC. Yeah. I actually don't think that number is big enough. Maybe it's because they're going on the road. Um. But the only or, hope is that you get to a point where USC is taking knees. In the in the first half, like they once did under Pete Carroll at Pullman, in the Paul Wolf era, like that's really the only hope that you have of Arizona State covering is that it's so bad so early that they really do basically don't play the second half the the Trojans and I don't I I don't I don't think Lincoln's got it in him to ease up that much. You want to hear my theory on on USC? I love it. I, I think that because Michael Penix Jr. is in their own conference and is such a legitimate Heisman contender and so obviously a Heisman contender that you're, you're going to see uh, USC do everything they can to, to push Caleb Williams' numbers as high as they can. So I, I, don't, I, I don't see a scenario where they're taking him out um, any time before the fourth quarter. I would buy that. My theory about USC is that they're coached by a really smart guy with a very small town understanding who has no feel for the market that he's currently in and is a whiny little baby. So he's going to try to run it up on everybody. That's that's my uh, assessment of the Trojans. <laughs> so you're taking USC? Is that, is that, taking, is that where we arrived at? Yeah. Taking USC and laying the lumber. Cal at Washington. The Huskies favored by 21. Yeah. I'm 0-3 picking Washington games against the spread this season because they covered Boise and Michigan State quite easily, and I yes. did not pick them to cover either of those games, and they failed to cover against Tulsa. So I'm I'm uh, I'm in a little bit of a, a dilemma here. 21 is a lot against a team that – held him to 28 points last year but i don't know i just i think washington's got it clicking they're at home um i, I don't get the sense that this is a team that would look past a, a an opponent like cal i think they know how hard fought that game was in berkeley last year and remember that and everything so and they quite you know, questions a quarterback for cal too again like this is not a team that's got somebody who's going to like probably really really stress them in the passing game. So, um, I'll 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 take Washington. I'd feel a little better if it was twenty and a half, but I'll I'll take Washington <laughs> to cover the twenty one. That half point making all the difference. I'm taking the Huskies based entirely on my belief that Michael Penix is and Ryan Grubb are going to sort of adjust to what was done last year and show Cal exactly the full uh, capabilities of this death star of an offense. That's the whole slate. It is. Only uh, differences we have, you've got the Cougs, I've got the Beavs. Uh, you're taking the Ducks, I'm taking the Buffs. Otherwise, we are, incongru we, we are congruent in our picks. Thanks to everybody who has rated the podcast now at 225 ratings. I do have, uh, we have two new reviews this week. Um, one of them might be the best one we've received, so I'm excited to read that one. 
Um, we do have from uh, from UW Sid fourteen with a a headline on the review of Pod. The review is solid Pod. <laughs> I do enjoy that solid Pod. <laughs> uh, do, do you do you say that in like the Sean Penn uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont Hut solid Pod? <laughs> Spicoli style solid pod man <laughs> now M- mr josh g was a, a a little bit more loquacious here he says the the headline of the review is my girlfriend hates this show and then the review begins but i love it quote how could you listen to a podcast about husky football for an hour with great anticipation that's how <laughs> Christian Capel's in-depth reporting and knowledge of the program is unmatched. Danny O'Neill slash O'Neill slash O'Neill, and he has O'Neill spelled three different ways. Uh, (laughs) Insightful commentary, sense of humor, and radio experience make this podcast a must-listen for any dog fan. And even though I work for a gargantuan online retailer, God knows if I have an idea for a product that I want to bring to market or need to know how to grow sales, I'll make sure to have a conversation with Ian McFarland. I promise. Yes, yes, yes. Shout Thank out, you, Josh G. By the way, I that reminds me. Um, I had another listener reach out this week and say, uh, "I was listening to your former employer's college football podcast and heard a very familiar voice, one that was worth a conversation." Tell Ian it was fun to hear him and that I have his website memorized at this point. How do you like that? Yeah, he he's, a, he's a college football podcast connoisseur. Yes, we can't. We can't limit him. We we need. We need to let him grow. He needs. He needs to spread his wings and fly. Yes, especially if they need some advice on who they might potentially be able to target for new sales opportunities. I mean, particularly for that reason. Uh, Subscribe to onmontlake.com. Subscribe to the dang apostrophe. Enjoy the dumb cow stuff on Saturday. (laughs) Another stupid cow game. We'll talk to you next week.